This is episode number 95. Today's episode is actually an interview of myself as a guest on another podcast called The Daily Creator Podcast with host Eric Farber. We talk about all things mindset in today's creator economy as well as peak performance habits and other strategies on being a successful entrepreneur in today's economy. Eric Farber is the founder and chairman of Creators Legal, which is a team of former entertainment lawyers, execs, and creatives dedicated to empowering creators to get legal so they can build their business and keep on creating. He's been named a super lawyer multiple times. He also represented Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre, Death Row, and Tupac. He was nicknamed the Thug Lawyer. And Eric is also the host of the Daily Creator Podcast, which are talks on the business of the creator economy. You can also check out episode number 88 of the interview I did with Eric on this podcast called The Daily Creator. Now, before we jump in today's episode, make sure to check out the sponsors down below. It's the best way to support the podcast. All of the tools are things I use myself and most of my clients do as well. Also, make sure to subscribe to the newsletter down below to stay up to date on exclusive insights on mindset and peak performance. And now, please enjoy today's episode. Hi, it's Eric. Welcome to the Daily Creator Podcast. I have a very special guest today. I want to kind of jump right in, Naeem. Mahmoud, an old friend of mine who is a peak performance strategist and a podcast host of Peak Performance Humans, an amazing podcast that if you have not listened to yet, which I would kind of be surprised if you're listening to this, that you're not listening to that one because it's uh, an amazing podcast and he just dropped, I think, your 80th episode. Is that correct? Yeah, I believe you have 82 right now. 82 episodes. It's amazing. It goes right along with his ethos of, of what he is all about. Naeem and I have met, known each other for quite some time, and I want to kind of jump right in. Thank you for joining us on our uh, daily career. Absolutely. Podcast. Thank you for having me, Eric. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. And you, um, that background, if you're watching us on YouTube, that background is not fake. <laughs> that is a real surfboard in the background. Um, uh, how uh, Naeem lives in lives in Puerto Rico. I live a good part of my day days, I should say, in Costa Rica, and um, and so this is this is your place in in Puerto Rico, right? Yep, this is my place, my house, just outside. Wow. And um, do you always do your podcast from there? Uh, I don't actually. I've, I'm kind of an experiment because I just moved in here, so I'm experimenting with like new places I want to do it. Uh, so I actually like this one though, cause I love the colors of the, the leaves and the trees. So this might be my new one. Uh, I don't know yet. The verdict is still out on that. How long have you been living in Puerto so Rico? I've been in Puerto Rico for four years now. I moved here in, uh, at the end of 2018. Um, so until now, yeah. So I've been in San Juan for a few years now. I'm over in uh, Rincon on the West side of the Island. So you and I met when you were working for Tony Robbins. Yep. And I got to go into your background because you're, I mean, you're living in Puerto Rico, but you are a cold weather New Yorker. I am. That ended up at NYU. Yep. Right. 
So tell, tell me about that. Cause I did not know you were an NYU guy. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So I grew up in uh, the Northeast. I was born in New York. I grew up in New Jersey and then uh, I went to school at NYU in New York city. I studied economics there, but uh, it was funny. Cause I always wondered, I'm like, why do we, some people like the cold, which is cool. And I like it sometimes, but I was I'm like, why do I live half my year, which is like half my life in like unbearable weather for me. Um, and again, I have some friends that love the cold and that's totally cool. But for me, it was always like, if I had to pay for like warm weather, I'd pay a lot of money for it and I don't have to, I could just go, go live there. So uh, I love what you said before we started about uh, being by the water. There's a really cool book about it. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Blue Mind, but it talks about being at no. or around or near water it really helps your mind and your body and your just your spirit just perform better at a higher level. I have read several, several different places about studies about just being able to either see yeah. trees and nature is one thing that changes your mindset. Yep. And the other is seeing water will change your mindset. Now we're not talking about a puddle, <laughs> right? I'm like in the middle of a cement street, right? In the in downtown somewhere. We're talking about being able to see a river right. or see an ocean and the calmness of that, which I I mean, my, I, I have a daily ritual here, which is different than my daily ritual back, you know, back at home. But I spent about four months a year here. But, but before we get into that stuff, I want to, you know, you went yep. to NYU, you studied economics. Why economics? Because it was kind of the default thing to do. And that's kind of why I got into the work I did with Tony Robbins, right? Because I was just kind of running on default and just trying to, I didn't really think much about what I wanted to do in life. Well, as a kid, I wanted to be a professional basketball player. I, play, I played basketball my whole life and I played basketball right. at NYU too. But my, my dream is always to play the NBA, but I had mindsets about, oh, it's not possible. It's too hard. There's only 400 spots. Like you're not good enough. So I kind of scrapped that and I didn't really follow on my dreams with that. Uh, if anything, I, I would have always loved to play in Europe. I had a lot of friends who played in Europe professionally and I thought that'd be a cool thing right. too. So, but yeah, so economics is default just because I was trying to be successful and uh, I was like, all right, I'm going to go work on Wall Street. And at the time, investment banking and the hedge fund world was kind of blowing up. So I was like, oh, I should go do that and make a lot of money. And uh, a lot of people in my family were doing that. And a lot of friends were doing that as well. So that was kind of the, the reason I, I chose economics. And you ended up on Wall Street. I did. Yeah. At my first job out of college, I was working first at a private equity fund. And then I worked at a, a fund of funds. I mean, it's kind of interesting because, you know, it's one of those things, okay, so you weren't playing basketball, right? Like that's the first dream like, yeah. that lots of people have, right? I I'm, um, I have a good friend named Jamal oh, Mashburn. Jamal Mashburn, the, the NBA player. He's known for being an NBA player, but he owns yeah. like 80 restaurants and like he's like an amazing investor and, and business owner. And we had dinner one night and he was sort of telling me about this stuff and he, and he said... And he grew up in New York, right? Very poor family. And he was going to a private school in New York and he used to take the subway downtown, uh, to, to the subway in to go to, go, go to the school that he went to. And he said he would see the, you know, basically the, the, the businessmen with their suits and their briefcases. And that's yeah. what he dreamed of being, yeah. was the businessman. And the only reason he really played basketball was he was good at it and he knew he could get the, the money by playing basketball to do what he really wanted to do was be a businessman. That's really cool. And so, yeah, so it's kind of funny because, you know, you, you, you sort of threw away <laughs> the basketball stuff to like go to economics. But here you are like 
classically trained. I mean, NYU is Ivy, you know, classically trained, unbelievable economics program end up in the, you know, in the dream job of private yeah. equity and hedge fund. Yep. Not enough. Not okay. What went wrong for you? Um, I think, again, I just didn't, um, it wasn't really where my initial like excitement was, right? And it was, again, I was more chasing the kind of the, the traditional forms of success. So I would say that is initially what went wrong. And I didn't really give enough thought to what I really wanted to do and what I was passionate about. I actually do like business. Like I love running my business now, but it was a different, uh, I guess, way I got into it, right? I was just kind of just not thinking about it. And I was like, oh, where should I work, right? And what should I do versus like, what do I want to do? So, um, and just being at a computer all day as an analyst and realizing it doesn't matter what you do, you still got to be really good at what you do to be successful. Um, I was like, I, I might need to find another path. Yeah. So what steps, what happened? What was the catalyst actually to, to actually making that yeah. job? Why well, looking, looking back in hindsight, and again, hindsight's always twenty twenty. but I'm like, man, I did it all. I don't want to say it was the wrong way, but I'm like, I might've done some things differently, but like one day I just quit my job and I didn't have any safety net. I didn't have like a backup plan. I was like, all right, I'm just going to go figure this out. But knowing my character too, I kind of need, I operate that way. Cause if I didn't have that, like burn the boats as I uh, have the fire to my feet, I probably wouldn't have done anything. So I kind of had to like, just jump off and figure it out. But uh, yeah, I just quit my job one day and uh, then I started uh, kind of down the path. What was the next, what was the next spot? Yeah. Then right away I started a fitness business cause I always loved, uh, I was an athlete. I always loved working out. So huh? I started working, uh, I was in New York, right? So I started training people, started doing like nutrition programs for people. And then I started reading personal growth books. And then I eventually came across Tony Robbins, but he wasn't the first person I came to. Uh, Jack Canfield's book, actually, the, the Success Principles, was the first book I kind of like, kind of anchored me sure. into that, and I liked it because it was very practical and it just laid out very simple steps. And I also liked the Jack, very smart guy. Like again, your school doesn't mean you're smart, right? But he went to Harvard, and uh, I liked kind of his approach sure. to things, very like again fundamental, very uh, uh, practical, and uh, little simple steps you could do to improve your life. So. If anybody wants to check that out, it's called the success, success principles. And it's like a hundred steps to, to, to being a better person. I have, I mean, I of course know who Jack Canfield is, but I've yeah. never read that book. I did see, I was looking, you know, taking a look at your website, which I encourage everybody to kind of take a look at and we'll put it in our show notes as to where you can find it. But you list the books that changed your life, yep. which I think is amazing because I don't think I've ever met anyone who is successful without a list of 50 yeah. or a hundred books. How old were you when you picked up that Jack Canfield? Uh, I was 20, I think it was 24 or something, 25 maybe. Yeah, when I left mm -hmm. my job, then I got it. And then, yeah, and it, I would honestly say it was reading. Because again, if I didn't read, I, I wouldn't have read about meditation. I wouldn't have read about going to events. I wouldn't have read about getting a coach. I wouldn't have read about like working on myself so yeah reading is like incredible i love how naval ravikant says reading is a superpower it is the superpower yeah and i used to hate reading well i'll go a step further i never read as a kid yeah and it was so significant that my parents yeah. took me to a hypnotist to hypnotize me into reading <laughs> yes which i really? still okay. didn't do until i got to college 
I paid, and they always talk about sort of, yeah, and you talk about this too, right? The, the people that you are around, you know, the five people that you are spend the most time with, you are the equivalent of those five people. I was absolutely that in high school. Yep. Right. My friends, we were derelicts. Yeah. I mean, we were, and um, and it, so it wasn't until, and I was the one who sort of did enough to get into college. Uh, the other ones took different paths. Mostly, there's a couple that have been okay, okay, successful, and I won't go into you know the jail time of the others. But it wasn't until I got to college, and then all of a sudden, it just kicked in, and I must have read 500 books in college, maybe more than that, that just had nothing to do with you know sort of. It, there were lots that had to do with you know the discipline that I was in, but mostly were novels, and and that's where it sort of really started for me, right? And then law school, you I put it down because you're so freaking busy, you know, you're going, you know, cross-eyed, you know, reading case books. And then I kind of picked it up in a different direction after that. But you have two of my, you have a lot of books that I, I love on that list. But if there were two books that I would recommend for anybody is Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning mm-hmm. yep. and Logotherapy and Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, which I still travel with everywhere I go. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Those are two of my top ones too. I love that you uh, travel with meditations everywhere you go. It's great. Yeah. I have a, I have a copy of it that I leave in Costa Rica. Nice. Yeah. Uh, because it's, is there a better guide to living your life than meditations? Yeah. Written how long ago? I think it was back in, I can't remember the, the Roman empire times, but like, Maybe, what was it, 1,500 years ago? Yeah, at least, I think, 1,000 years ago, right? And one of the things that's always amazed me about that, about reading it is, is life isn't all that different, right? Now we have more distractions. I love in there that Marcus Willis, you know, I think it was Marcus Willis that said, you know, try not to pay attention to the news all the time. Yeah. And I read about that, and what he was talking about was that, you know, the Romans would, would get their news from a guy standing in the middle of a town square talking about things that happened, right? He was the newscaster for the day. And what Marcus Rollis would say, don't pay too much attention because it's simply a distraction. There aren't things that really concern you unless you want to get worried about them, which will become a distraction. So avoid the square. Right. I took that to heart um, very much when, when Donald Trump was elected yeah, um, and no, and you couldn't stop watching the news, yep. hoping that you were going to wake up from a bad dream. Yep. Sorry to offend uh, somebody who might be listening who thinks differently. But, uh, I, and, and I remember reading that and I think it was Ryan holiday that, so that, that, that said that. Right. And so, so, okay. You end up at Tony Robbins really changes. And that's actually how we met because you were working for Tony Robbins and came in as a performance coach at, yep. at my last company. How long did you do that stuff? So I worked for Tony for about four and a half years. Yeah. So originally I went to, I went to one of his events, which I actually wasn't going to go to. It was like the weekend mm-hmm. I was in New York. I was like, I don't want to go. But then I, I, some part of me just got me to go. And then I was like, wow. Like I went to some, a lot of events before that. I went, read other books and hired other coaches. But I was like, dude, this guy's just like, it's like going to see Michael Jordan play basketball, right? Like that's just another level. So I was like, wow, this is incredible. And I was like, I got to work for this guy. Had you read any of his books before you went or listened to anything before yeah, you Yeah, I read Awaken the Giant Within. I listened probably to some YouTubes and maybe probably some audio books too, like Personal Power. But just being there was mm-hmm. just, you know, obviously, right? It was just a different, uh, 
experiencing it versus kind of reading it is a different uh, uh, different thing, right? So yeah, being there was pretty fun. Yeah. So many people talk about like, you know, he's a self-help guy or what I can't remember, you know, the exact sort of quotes. And he uses the same thing that you do really is pre-peak performance, which yeah. I think he is a controversial figure Yep. because people, you know, think that he, if they haven't sort of paid attention to what he, what he does, tell me your take on all of that. When people say, because a lot of people are going to look at you cro- a little cross-eyed when you say, oh, I work for Tony Robbins. Yeah. 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 Tell me about that a little. For sure. Yeah. I got a whole range of responses uh, when I say I work for Tony. Most of them are like awesome, right? People are like, oh my God, that's incredible. But yeah, I, I would definitely say a lot of times, well, one is nobody's right for everybody, right? Even though, again, in my opinion, and also I don't even say it's opinion. Like again, Tony has coached like the most successful people in history, like Nelson Mandela, Mother Teresa, Princess Diana, like I could just keep going, Richard Branson. Uh, but again, he's not for everybody. So one is you got to choose the right uh, people you want to kind of feed your mind with. So, but then I'd say other times maybe it's out of context sometimes, right? I know there are some things, again, also when you get to that level, just like a Kobe Bryant, right? Or LeBron James, like people, things are taken out of context or, and we're all human, right? So we all make mistakes too. So Tony's still a human being. Um, but uh, I'd say for, in the sense of like, not like him just being like out there for people, it, uh, my response would just be, it's not, maybe it's not the right fit, you know? And also again, just being out of context for what he might be talking about. But uh, I think that, yeah, that's usually my response. I don't really have much more uh, that I tell people about that. It was definitely one of those things for me that, that got these odd responses yeah. when I said, you know, that I'd been, or, you know, mentioned his name and they give some, you know, some sort of response, but the people I think who work, who, who spend their time trying to work on themselves and trying to get better at what they do or try to live a better life or try to make change, they, they had no issue. Yeah. And it was more, and maybe they didn't follow Tony. Maybe they read the books on their own or did things on their own that, that, but you could tell that there was, you know, maybe they were a big Tim Ferriss fan or whatever it was, right. To, to, to make those changes. And the people who sort of poo pooed it in some way were generally the people who sort of were suffering from all these different issues that they had to deal with. Yeah. But didn't have a guide out that couldn't, that, that weren't, I I think the most important quality is to be self-aware. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yep. That, that's, that's the start, especially if you're running a company. Yep. You've got to be self-aware. Yep. And in, into what you do. And I think they lack that self-awareness. Yeah, sure. That's, yeah. uh, that's definitely a pot. Yeah. That's definitely one of the cases that comes up. Yeah. And then I'd also say sometimes people aren't ready for it or it's too intense for them. Like I brought friends and family to the event, right. And a lot of them again, loved it, but then some, it was just too much or they weren't ready for it. It's a lot of it is timing, right. Being in the right place and being ready at that point in your life to kind of take that stuff on. So, uh, but yeah, I'd say awareness too, sometimes for sure. So of all of this stuff, you get on a coaching call mm-hmm. with somebody cause you, I mean, you do a lot of different things within your company, but one of those things is to coach people on a one-on-one basis. Correct. Yep. 
somebody and you came into a big group i mean there was probably 50 or 60 of us i think when you were when yeah. you came to our company how do you do it differently with with the first but what's the first session like what's the first session like yeah what do you what do you what are you trying to understand sure. from them what are you trying to get out of that absolutely that's a great question uh and first of all before i start with that answering that question i loved i've been to so many different companies and when i worked for tony and met so many business owners and worked with so many teams. Uh, the thing that I really enjoyed about you and your team, one is like you were very uh, kind of warm and not that everybody wasn't, but some people weren't as you, you were like over over the board on just being warm and welcoming and friendly towards me. So I, I appreciated that a lot. And also your team and your culture. Uh, I thought it was, that's a big one, right? Because a lot of times the business owner might bring somebody in, but the team isn't really as receptive or wanting to do the training or like wanting to like, participate but i think you did a great job with your team too being like wanting to learn and grow or at the very least again if they're not ready for it, just being open-minded and having the awareness I'm like all right let me just try this out and see what happens so uh that was the, the nice thing that i remembered about coming to your company and, and working with you i i appreciate that but i and i will tell you and follow up on that is yeah. it's by design yeah we're hiring when we hire people they are going through a really rigorous hiring process right that makes sure they are going to have that kernel maybe they aren't reading jack canfield they're not reading victor frankel and they're not doing all of those things because they're not aware of them out there right but we're going to hire people that and our process determines this yeah we're going to try to hire people that are really hungry to learn and grow. Yep. And it's and it's our philosophy that that they may be offering us something, but we better be offering them something. Right. Yeah. Which is so so we've got to match what they want and be able to change as they grow as well into those next steps. I love that. And so it, it was by design that those people sitting there that you talked to, those 50 people were hired for their not just for their skills, but for their soft skills. And one of those big ones was, I want to learn something new every day. Right. Our top line motto is, is that the seat you sit in is temporarily yours. Right. How fast you want to move to a different seat and give your seat to somebody else is up to you and, and your ability to grow and learn. Right. Yep. So that's why we brought in people like you right is to give them that like we're going to constantly feed their mind with new ways of thinking yeah and it had it had nothing to do with the law i love that that's awesome right? yeah so so that's what i say is yes i pr i truly appreciate you recognizing that because it was des it was by design and and what happens the great resignation has happened yeah yep I no longer work at Pacific Workers. Right. Um, I'm no longer there because uh, I'm running Creators Legal. But everybody has sort of moved into their roles over there. And here's the other thing that I'm really proud of is our our turnover is less than 10% since the pandemic. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. So yep. that's that's why you do those things. Yep. Absolutely. Right. Love that. That's so cool. Yeah. At the end of the day, I'm just being selfish. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to make sure my company survives. So I'm going to do everything I can, including treating my people really well, whether I like it or not. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
and creating a culture where they can grow and, and, and uh, thrive and move on to better things too. Very cool. Wouldn't the world be a lot better place if we all did that? Yeah. If we all practice conscious capitalism like John Mackey talks about? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, to answer your, que- the original question, I'd say on the, well, on the first call, it's really kind of more of like a kind of just getting some housekeeping out of the way, right? Just kind of explaining the process, how calls will go, um, going over like their initial intake form, which is pretty extensive on just what their goals are, what their challenges are, kind of getting into their belief systems and their values and things like that. But I'd say like during calls, kind of like Tony, like I'm always scanning for some fundamental uh, pieces of their operating system, right? Like the six human needs or what are some belief systems that are driving their behavior or blocking them or making them feel stuck or their value systems, what's going on there. Um, and then a lot of it is really just the fun, the fun part about coaching is a great coach isn't really talking very much. They're listening a lot and then asking very thoughtful questions, which sounds pretty easy, but it's really not because most people are so quick to jump and like share what they think they should, somebody should do or like fix the problem. Right. But sometimes it's listening and having somebody that's good at listening, they'll solve the problem themselves, which is really cool. And it makes my job pretty easy. I wish more, I mean, life coaching. Yeah as a profession came in the last 20 years, right? Yeah. To me, I used to say there's a lot of unlicensed therapists out there Yep. because very few people I think understand from a deep level what performance coaching actually is. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because it muddies the waters to people who actually understand what needs to be done. Right. Yep. Right. And, and so life coaching quote unquote gets a bad rap. Yep, no, that's true. Right. And it's very difficult to find somebody who actually truly understands. Yeah. Is there one question that you ask somebody on your intake in the, in those first few sessions that you feel brings out from them something? Is there one question that 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 you glean more about them than anything else? Mm, that's a good question. So I'd say it depends on each person and the thread of the conversation. Cause like those questions that bring out that like aha moment or like that insight or that breakthrough, it's again, it's sometimes it's shifting like a belief that they didn't notice was there or seeing something they didn't see before in a certain way. So it depends on again, like who it is and what we're working on and also the conversation. But to answer the question, if I had to give an answer, and again, it's so basic and you know this, right? But, and most people that they're not trained to think this way though. It's really, I always go back to when people are stuck or they don't know what to do or they're, or they're stuck in their story. I'm like, what's your outcome? And it's really just be, meaning, what do you want? Right? Cause again, a lot of times people say, I'm like, all right, cool. Why, why'd you hire me as a coach? Or what's our, what do you want to do today? And then they talk about what they don't want or my wife did this or my husband did that, or my business, my employees are doing this and everything's going crazy. So I always kind of recenter them to like, all right, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? And in the beginning, it's a little conditioning and it's hard for people. And it was hard for me too. That was like, for me, that was a breakthrough question because I was trained. And one of my questions I would always ask myself, which is part of the reason I studied economics and worked on Wall Street is not, what do I want? I asked, what should I do? I was always saying, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? Implying like I'm trying to make somebody else happy and get validation from my parents or society or whoever it might be. So when I started asking what do I want, which felt really weird, 
and I was also kind of trained not to, like kind of, I, I think people take it out of context how the Dalai Lama says you shouldn't want things. There's a balance there, right? But like some of mm -hmm. us are trained not to want things, right? You shouldn't want things because then you'll be unhappy, right? That's just really when there's a, it's out of balance. If you want way too many things and your want is like driving your happiness, then yes, it'll be out of balance, right? But like wanting is part of life. Like right now I want some water, so I'm going to drink some water, right? It's like, yes. so I'd say that is the, that that's probably a question that is uh, an anchor for most people that for a lot of people, it's really helpful and it takes some conditioning, but uh, they definitely get some breakthroughs from that one. It's really interesting. I mean, you talk about, you say the Dalai Lama says that, Marcus Aurelius says it too, yeah. right? The, the happy person is the person who no longer wants. Yep. And that is one of the black, you know, the, the black letter rules, so to speak. We, we use those in law, it's sort of the maxim, right? And, but there is a delicate balance because and I think that people sort of want the wrong things, so yeah. to speak. They look at it and say, I want the Lamborghini. I want the, I want the $5 million mansion. I want yep. this. Rather than trying to shape what they truly want, yeah. which is probably some sort of calmness and happiness and a secure way to continue to make a living yep. without killing themselves. Yep. But I think you and I both grew up in these sort of traditional families of you do this and then you do that and then you do the next thing and then you do the next thing etc cetera, etc cetera. i came to costa rica my first time almost 25 years ago working for a client and wanted to buy a hotel here and i was i had one investor that was putting out money i was going to get another investor basically just kind of pulled out thinking yeah this isn't really what my family would want me to do mm, yeah and then didn't come back down here for like 10 years or wow. maybe yeah. 15 years. Right. And then I always think back to, you know, why didn't I do that? Yep. In fact, the guy who owns that hotel casino is the, is literally the wealthiest guy in the whole area. Wow. Right. <laughs> yeah. Who still owns it after I didn't, you know, I decided to pull out of the whole thing. I mean, but you know, I'm very happy with the path that I've had, yep. but you know, these are the, these are the sort of t traditional decisions, right? you talk a lot about this stuff is the morning ritual. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask you two things. One, what is the morning ritual and when did you actually start it? Sure. Like when did it, how long ago did you finally say, okay, this is going to help me. And so talk about the morning ritual, talk about why it's so important. And then I want to know what yours is. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. And then I just want to squeeze in one thing real quick, peg, piggybacking on what you said about uh, Marcus Aurelius and the Dalai Lama about not wanting, I think it's balancing it with appreciation and gratitude, right? So it's like, again, we're achieving, we're growing, we're trying to get more and become a better basketball player. But at the same time, I have to appreciate how good of a basketball player I already am. So I don't like get unhappy and beat myself up and notice all the, all, how bad I am of a basketball player. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have to take appreciation in the, in, in the wins. Absolutely. So to answer your other question, I love that question. And it's, it was a very, that's probably one of the other really most important things that I've shifts or habits that I've installed in my life was a morning routine. Um, I got it from my, my coach, uh, Jarek Robbins. So when I hired Jarek, so it was funny cause I, I saw, I knew Jarek, I was like, Oh, this guy, Jarek Robbins. And I looked at his website. I'm like, 
all right, I'll try them out. I'll give them a call. Cause I was, I was always experimenting and I still, I'm always still experimenting with like events and coaches and books and things like that. So I was like, all right, he's probably not going to call me. One of his coaches will call me. And then the call comes in and it was actually him. And I'm like, Oh, that's kind of weird. And then from the moment I talked to him, I could just tell like he was solid and present and like, wow, this guy's amazing. So he's the one who told me the idea of doing a morning ritual. So ever since then, I started doing a morning routine and it really helped me change my life because I'm not a good morning person and I wake up like unhappy normally. So I had to like train myself mm-hmm. to like wake up and do these things, which was super helpful because now I, I love my days and I fly through my days and I'm, I'm like, I wish there was more time in my day to keep going. I, I just for anybody who's listening to this and you've already heard Naeem, but I've known him for a long time. I just can't imagine you ever being unhappy. <laughs> so waking up unhappy just seems really out of context for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, like one of the most positive people I've ever met. Yep. Yeah. Well, thank you. But we all experience it. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. But I, yeah, we all, we all have those moments. Right. So, but, uh, but now that I do the ritual for sure, it definitely help, help, helps me have less of those moments where, cause I'm more, in control and I'm conditioning my emotions and my nervous system uh, all the time, pretty much not just in the morning throughout the day. And also at the end of the day, cause I kind of see our body, like people pay a billion dollars for like a black Hawk, not a billion, like a black Hawk helicopter is like multi-million dollar machine, mm-hmm. right? Or a, like the yeah. air force one by the president is like a hot $500 million jet or something like that. And these amazing pieces of machinery are like Elon Musk's rockets to Mars are incredible. But we have the most amazing machine in the world. Like you can't even put a price on it. But if you had to, I'd pay a billion dollars for my body. But like we don't learn how to use it and like fly it through this outer space we're living in on this planet, right? So to me, it's just learning how to regulate my nervous system and my energy because we have the autonomic nervous system and we have the parasympathetic and the sympathetic. But most people right away when they wake up, and I was too, I was all parasympathetic, right? Fight or flight. It's like I wake up, I have this one thought. I'm like, oh no, I have to start my day. Life stinks. I have to go work. And then right away, I'm just burning fuel and like in fight or flight from the start of the day to the end of the day. And I'm always like trying to avoid stuff and like protect myself. So for me, that was a cool shift. So it was like, it was like literally moving through the veil or like shifting the paradigm to like, oh cool. How do I want my day to be? And what emotion do I want to start my day with and prime my day with throughout the day? The first, uh, and this is the other cool thing I've learned over the years, is I used to be very, and it's cool in the beginning, and I think you got to do what works for you. And some people don't even need one, and that's fine too, right? Like you got to, at the end of the day, you got to do what's useful, right? But when I first started, Mm -hmm. I was very strict about it. I'm like, I have to do this and this and this and this and this. And that was really helpful in the beginning. But now I just kind of have a potpourri of like, all right, what do I feel like I need to do today? Meditate or jump in the ocean or... Uh, go work out or read a book or journal. I, I do a combination of all those things like every day in the morning, but mm-hmm. sometimes the order changes. Uh, but then some, sometimes things kind of stay the same, like meditation, just from my own experience and the value it adds to my life. I only do that more and more consistently because it's such a strong anchor for me. So now I meditate pretty much first thing in the morning. Usually I jump in the ocean first because I like to just kind of get my body in the water and move a little bit. And then I come in and I meditate and then I do, I also journal in the morning. I write down three things that I'm grateful for. And then I just kind of let my thoughts flow and I capture it on paper. And then I also write down three wins 
I want to produce in the day, which is really helpful to kind of keep my mind focused. And I also do that the night before. So I'm already primed for that. And then I do uh, the Tony Robbins priming exercise, which I, I know you oh, know you about do. that. So mm-hmm. I still do that. That's really yeah. awesome. That for people who don't know, that's, that is a, it's a breathing exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, I've replaced that with meditation myself. Oh, cool. So yeah. that, that I like to do, uh, and you're right. It is like a Kundalini, right? You kind of, you're breathing, yeah. you're pumping your arms up and down. Um, yeah. and then sometimes I read, but I usually read during the day too. So from there, then I get, then mm-hmm. I get into my work day. It's, it, I really like how you say sort of, it's a movable feast a little bit. Yeah. You have these different things that you can pull from mm-hmm. and that not everything is done every day. Yeah. I'm exactly the same way. Yeah. Like for, you know, I had like a hundred straight days of meditation. Yeah. But I haven't done it in like 30. Actually, that's not true. I did it this morning. But prior to that, it had been like 30 days. I just fell off of it. But when I get back on, I remember why I did. Right. But it, so it's meditation or it's journaling or it's... And sometimes my journal, my own personal journaling is more just about a to-do list. Yeah. It's not necessarily a diary. Yep. And I try to explain that to some people who talk, who ask about that because sometimes your mind isn't about, I want to write a diary. It's like, I want to get the shit out of my head yeah. to get it onto paper. So I don't worry about it anymore. Yep. And I know what I need to get done. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Putting it on paper is so yeah. helpful. Getting it out of your head. Cause otherwise it just loops in your head. Yeah. It's that procrastination. Have you, have you yeah. read the artist's way? Of course. Okay, cool. Yes. Yeah. In fact, it's funny because we're dropping a podcast uh, with a guy named Mark Melhone. Uh-huh. Um, that's that's about to come out and we had a co- full conversation about the artist way oh cool he, perfect filmmaker i think the artist way was the first time i started journaling yep. after i read the artist way it was when i first started off in hollywood and realized it wasn't actually going to be quote an artist and although i think i have been very much and now we call them creators not artists right yeah but um, you know writing a book creating companies doing all this you know creative work and um but yeah, the artist way is, is at the top, right? Yep. And, uh, is the, is at the top of that list. Me too. That's what got me to start journaling more often. And I love that your podcast and what you're doing is helping more creators do more of what they do best. And, and we're all creators, right? A lot of it's a mindset shift. Yeah. If we want to be, some people don't kind of identify themselves as that, but we are creators. Um, and it, I love that the world is moving towards that with technology. People can create their own podcast or YouTube channel or whatever they want or their blog. Uh, but I love that you're enabling people and empower, not, not enabling and empowering people to uh, tap into more of that and do more of that. Absolutely. Because, and for many years when I was sort of out of, you know, the sports entertainment biz yeah, running the other company, to me, that was still very much creating and shaping a, a thing yep. that everything was intentionally designed just like a painting right? Well, it didn't matter what it was. It's just creating in a different way. My mother was a, was a classically trained artist who worked in, was a painter and, and a sculptor. And, uh, and, and she worked in pop art. She worked in abstract art. My father was a, was a business guy and, but they worked together. So anytime she was doing her, her abstract art always had to had something interesting about the frames mm. and about where, where it actually ended up. And that was my father's doing in working with stuff. He was never on the art itself. He was signature was never on there, 
but it was always his frames and the sort of strange stuff that he did in his wood shop oh. to actually empower my mom's art. So it was this combination of these two things that I think me ending up as a lawyer in the arts. That is so cool. Yeah. I love that. But it was, to me, entrepreneurship is creating and that's why, yep. you know, we do what we, we do what we do. But what is something that you have purchased in the last 60 days that you can know that you cannot live without? Hmm. That's a good question. I don't really buy much stuff. So let me think what I bought. Um, well then what, what can you, what have you purchased for less than a hundred dollars in the last six months that you can't live without? Well, I'd say one thing that I purchased that I can't live without is that's been a, well, I can live without anything, but, but I get your idea. Uh, I love yeah. this, this whoop wristband that I have because this keeps, Oh, what is it? This is the whoop. Have you heard of the whoop? I don't think so. So this is uh, it's a, it's kind of like a fitness tracker, but it really just uh -huh. kind of tracks your, your strain recovery and your sleep so for me before oh, wow. before i got this and uh and my coach and tony actually uses this too and uh jarek oh. also my coach used the two but basically before i got this and i was i'm like i'm an athlete i'm like i don't need that stuff i'm, I'm good i'm fit but it was actually cool for me because i was over training way too much and i was sleeping way too little and i also wasn't resting enough so but i would never stop because i had this belief in my head and this mindset where it's like, it was never enough. I need to keep doing more. Like I need to lift more. I need to exercise more. I need to work more. I need to do more. So when I kind of flipped that, it was really cool. Cause mm -hmm. I felt more rested and I also got more done cause I had more energy. Like when I did my, my work and I did my workouts. Wow. Yeah. How has your sleep changed? It's changed a lot. I sleep, well, one is I sleep earlier. So I try to get mm -hmm. to bed by 10 PM at the latest, like sleeping by, I don't always do that. It's that that's the ideal. And then if I do that, I get to, I'd like to wake up at like 5 a.m., which still isn't enough sleep because mm -hmm. I learned if you get 10 to 5, that's 7, you would think, but it's not. It's like 5 and a half to 6 because most people don't sleep the full night, right? The entire way through. Yeah. yeah. So it's definitely improved my sleep. And I also have more data on my REM sleep and my deep sleep and mm -hmm. so on. And I'm just more aware of it, right? So now I do more things mm -hmm. to improve my sleep because once I have the, the data – and I can measure it. Now I could figure out ways to make it better and improve it. Have you read Why We Sleep, Matt Walker's book? Yeah, it's a great book. Yeah. Yeah. Really um, so I, Matt Walker's a friend of mine. Oh, cool. Uh, I had lunch with him and uh, another good friend maybe about a month or so ago. And he was, the friend was wearing some sort of sleep tracker, which they had decided that, okay, you should no longer wear that thing because it, it causes a sleep anxiety. Mm. And Matt, I had a conversation with Matt a few years ago about, about this. And he's like, I, I haven't slept with an alarm in 20 some years. Wow. Okay. Zero, right. Yeah. No alarm. And I automatically wake up lately. I was sleeping about seven hours, which is okay for me. It's really that seven to nine hours is, is sort of that, that core. I've been sleeping a lot less, but one of the things that was causing my sleep anxiety was I would wake up and he actually had suggested at one point that I should get it. I should use an alarm because if the alarm hasn't gone off, you don't look at your, the time mm. you just know it hasn't gone off. Go back to sleep. Mm. Right. If you don't use an alarm, like I haven't, then you wake up and you think, and you immediately look to see what time it is. Right. 
right? And for me, that could be like 2 a.m. or 5, you know, 5 a.m. Then all of a sudden, if it's 2 a.m., the sleep anxiety kicks in immediately. Wow, yeah. If it's 5 a.m., you're like, oh, I'm good. I can get up now. And so he said, Eric, I get it. You're proud of the fact that you don't, that you don't use an alarm. Start using one. You did start using one. It's sort of the other. I haven't. Yeah. I still haven't because I'm such a creature of habit, right? <laughs> but I haven't, right? How, how do you do that? How, how do you, so do you just make sure you get to bed early enough each night or you just kind of, how do you, is there a process you follow? I go to bed like they all suggest at the same time every night. Yeah. I try to do that. What Seven days a week, right? It's pretty rare. Yep. But the other thing is, is my body does this thing that it literally wakes up at exactly the same time and that changes right it'll slowly change like right now it's 5 a.m and i'm not talking like 459 or 450 <laughs> or 510 right i wake up and it's like my body knows exactly wow that's amazing yeah it's five i don't get to set that i don't get to say oh, like kramer on seinfeld did like Oh, I've got it. Right. Like I'll be up. Right. I don't get to do that. <laughs> it does it for me and I don't get to choose it, unfortunately, because right. I'd love to say, can we move this to 630? And all of this started when I was starting the, the law firm, when I was so freaking stressed out yeah. um, that I'd be waking up at 330 in the morning and I couldn't get back to sleep. And so what I started doing was getting up and just making use of that time. Wow. Yeah. Right. And then after doing that for a really long time, things started to get better at the business and I felt less stressed and then I just automatically slept. Mm. So, and what Matt says is falling asleep is a function of what you do during the day. Waking up in the middle of the night is a function of anxiety. Yeah, that's great. Falling, so, as falling asleep is a function of what yeah. you do during the day, yep. Yes, how much energy you expend. Yeah. Right. Staying asleep is a function of anxiety. Yep. And I am no problem falling asleep. I like within, you know, 30 seconds, sometimes I'll take yeah. the iPad, which is absolutely, you know, everybody says don't do it. Right. But I do it almost every night, but literally there's times where I'm like, okay, I'm going to, as I'm, as I'm moving to push the button on the iPad to turn it on, I've fallen asleep before that even happens. Yeah. <laughs> like, so that's not my issue, right? Yeah. So what is the name of that thing? Whoop? Yeah, this is called the Whoop. W-H-O-O-P. It's the Whoop. Okay. Uh, How much was that? Wristband. I think it's like, so you pay monthly. It's like $30 okay. a month. And then I think it's like, I think it's just $30 a month actually. Because I, 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 okay. I can't remember because I bought it. I think I paid up front like 250 for like 12 months or something like that. Yeah, it's around there. It's yeah. like a monthly membership for the, uh, and then you get the device for, for free. All right, we, we should put that in the show notes too. Yeah, absolutely. Right? The thing that Naeem cannot live without right now. Yeah. So where can people connect with you? Uh, I'd say my website's probably the best place or, or the social, okay. but my, my website has my social links. But yeah, just uh, okay. on my website, naeemamud.com or on social media, it's yeah. at naeemamud across yeah. uh, all that. Again, we're going to put all that stuff in our show notes to make sure that people can reach out to you. Last thing, the, your book list is amazing. You talked about Jack Canfield's book. Somebody wants to start understanding and getting more self-aware 
and how this stuff can help them in their business and their creativity and everything else is the one book above all others in that list or one that just is always on the front of your mind that you can say, grab this. Uh, for about about what today. about creativity and self awareness you were saying or what about whatever yeah I mean about the change about the self awareness about how all of this stuff can sort of lead to change. Mm. Um, that's a good question. Let me think. I really like so this one book that I like. It's it's called Grit. Have you read Grit? Yeah, Angela. Um, By An- Angela Duckworth. Angela Duckworth, fantastic. Yeah, book. it's not much about like the creative process, but the thing that I like about it is that it just gives it gave me the insight and she talks about it it's not a question of like are you good enough or do you have the gifts or the talents it's more a question of like are you just putting in the work and the effort yeah so that was a cool insight for me because then it's like oh cool yeah anything in life is a skill again just like shooting baskets as long Mm -hmm. as i put up my basketball shots every day i can get the results that i'm going for so that that was a nice book because when I'm making podcasts, when I'm blogging, when I'm doing all this making content, sometimes I'm like, oh, is this working? Is it getting better? Is this landing on people? But now I'm like, just, just keep, keep getting going. better at your craft. Yeah. Yeah. I, Angela Duckworth, I'm a huge fan for anybody who has not read this book. Um, she also has one of the great TED Talks, right? Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. Naeem, thank you so, so much. I really enjoyed this. We'll, we'll definitely have you on again. Absolutely. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate uh, your time. It was fun talking to you. Absolutely. Thank you for checking out today's episode. Make sure to check out the sponsors down below if you want to optimize your physical, mental, and emotional performance. And also make sure to subscribe to the newsletter to get exclusive insights on mindset and peak performance. And now I will leave you with one of my favorite quotes from Theodore Roosevelt, the man in the arena. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat.